What is up, y'all? Kevin Kuhn here from Athlete Factors. This is the Athlete Factors podcast. My guest today is Dr. Ashley Shrum from Calibrated Physical Therapy. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing good, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm super pumped to talk to you today. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to do this. This is great. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background uh, as far as athletics go, academics, professionally. Take it away. Yeah, I'll give you kind of a quick, the quick and dirty of it, right? So we'll kind of, we won't go into the all the in-depth everything, but um, I have been an athlete pretty much most of my life. I have, um, I have an autoimmune condition called rheumatoid arthritis, and that really limited me. I was diagnosed at 14 months old, so I have a, a real long history of autoimmune disorder. And so it's been kind of a, one of these barriers that I have to keep overcoming, overcoming, overcoming at different times, starting from just a baby. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so I couldn't walk till I was like five or six. And so that this is kind of why I got into physical therapy and, and kind of how I am as a person. But um, I couldn't walk till I was like five or six, really, and like really well. And I was in physical therapy, like pretty much my whole life. And everyone told me like, you can never do this, or you can never do that, right? So I had a, a lot of medical staff telling me like, no, you'll never do this, or or you're going to be in a wheelchair. Or, I even had one doctor go as far to tell me that I'm going to probably die by the time I'm 30. And I'll be honest, wow. I'm 30. And I'm living a good life. Like, I can't. So I had a really good physical therapist when I was a kid. Um, and, and it really empowered me, right? It gave me hope. Um, and that's a big part of why I became a physical therapist in the first place. And why I continue to push through some of these barriers as a kid, right? And continue to be an athlete um, as best I could. Like when I was younger, I I played pretty much any sport that you can think of. I love sports. Like I can just jump in and play. Um, That's I'm just capable of doing that. I think likely because I had all that physical therapy as a young kid, like I'm very able to just pick up the game and go and, and excel at it pretty well, which is not easily said for a lot of people, but I had a lot of therapy for that. Um, And so that's kind of my why I became a physical therapist in the first place is my background and all the education I got and all the hope that I had and guidance I had from really good physical therapists. Um, So I played volleyball mostly, and that's kind of the sport I still play to this day. Um, I work out and lift weights and and do things like that and cycle, but I, I play volleyball and that's kind of like where my passion lies and that's what my business is after. But I went to um, St. Louis University in St. Louis, Missouri. That's where I'm from where I grew up and I did my undergraduate degree there as well as my doctorate degree in physical therapy from the St. Louis University. And then from there I treated, oh man, I've treated, and I graduated that in 2012. So I've been going since 2012 with my license as a physical therapist. Um, I played a little bit of college club volleyball um, I lost the scholarship and recruitment from an injury to go into play college sports. So that was kind of like a didn't happen. I just played for a fun club league and then sand league at bar leagues and stuff like that for an adult, um, which is really fun. And that's what I still do now. I kind of just play adult for fun leagues. Um, but that's kind of my sports background currently. And then my, my practice, I've been practicing as a physical therapist since 2012. I worked with a chiropractor my first year out of college, which is really fun. So like chiropractic and PT together. Um, I also worked in a hospital and a skilled nursing facility. I just saw every patient population that you can think of. Like anybody that I could see, I saw because I really just wanted to see kind of where my niche was and where I thrived. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, I moved to Houston 
and I worked with occupational athletes, aka the workforce, right? So people over the age of 18, somewhere between 18 and usually 70s, 60s usually is like the highest. Um, and I did that for about four years. Then I moved to Denver, where I'm at now, and I started working with um, a group that does outpatient physical therapy of all age ranges, but mostly I was treating um, children or people in their 50s. Like it was kind of dependent on the time of day. But I really fell in love with treating kids again. And that's kind of where I was like, okay, cool. That's what I want to do. And so while I was working for someone else, I started developing my own business. And I wanted to work at um, mostly in telehealth. So telerehabilitation, just visual. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I do now. I started my company, Calibrated Physical Therapy. And um, yeah, so we have a, a big mission to help children and youth athletes specifically. So I really niched down in my own business because it's what I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. And I started treating nothing but volleyball players of all age ranges. Um, and then, yeah, so while I was working with kiddos again, I really got tired of seeing all of these kids with injuries, like really stupid injuries from poor decisions. And I'm going to call them stupid injuries because they're overuse injuries. They're, they're someone in a power position to program them just made a bad decision and be it that's how they train or just lack of knowledge is what I heard most of the time. Like when I actually reached out to talk to these coaches who were trying to help these kids, it's just lack of knowledge. What I came across actually, it's a lot of parents who are volunteering. They really don't have any background. They just want to have the kids to be able to have a team. So mm -hmm. they volunteer to coach and then they're just kind of in and they look at all this crap on YouTube and Google and they just kind of piecemeal things together to make it happen. And then I see all these kids that have injuries and I got really tired of seeing kids, they're having big surgeries, like ACL repairs. And um, I had one kid, had their ankles were pinned at 14. Like, you're 14 and they're pinning your ankle. Like, that's not right. Like, that's going to affect you big in your whole life. Um, and I want these kids to continue on with sports because I think there's so much good that can come from playing sports um, and using it as a as a vehicle to becoming a better person as you grow in age. Like you can learn a lot in, in a sport. Um, yeah. You can learn good and bad, but you can learn a lot. So my why I started my own business and why I focus on on the goal that I have with my businesses, I really got tired of seeing kids just having silly injuries. Like I figure if I can do anything, I can help these people understand the the whole training process and and why injuries occur in youth athletes as well as what the injuries actually are. So my business has a goal and a mission. I'm on a mission. I want to help prevent 100,000 unnecessary youth overuse injuries by the year 2030. So I gave myself 10 years to impact 100,000 lives. And that's crazy, right? That's a big goal, right? Like that's huge. It's a very big goal. It's a huge goal. And yeah. um, the only way I'm going to get to do my goal is I, I'm kind of thinking of it like this. I focus all of my in all of my energy for this on the coaches. So I specifically talk to youth volleyball coaches because I'm treating athletes one on one. And if I'm I'm seeing them one at a time, it would take me forever to get to a hundred thousand people, right? But a coach every season, they're seeing fifteen to thirty to forty-five children. They're impacting forty-five people. And then every person they tell impacts some more people. And every person they tell impacts some more people. So I have this kind of trickle down effect. Um, so I'm going after youth coaches for my education, and that's who all of my free free materials and all the materials I put out, who my podcast, everything is geared towards 
volleyball coaches, youth volleyball coaches. And so that's how I think I'm hoping that I can get and stuff like this, right? Like talking with you, I can get into a hundred thousand effects like in 10 years, right? That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, how are you going to measure that? You know what? I don't really have a, an objective measure. I really don't. I just think it's like, it's so lofty that it's just saying I want to make a really big impact. So mm-hmm. my my thing is if I can talk to 100 coaches this in bet- between now and tw- now in 2021, right? So in a year, if I can talk to 100 coaches and they talk to 100 people, then I know I'm I'm heading in the right direction, right? So my goal is to talk to literally 100 people this year. Like that's how I'm measuring my own self goal. And in 10 years, that's what 100 times 10? I don't even know. That's a thousand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if they tell a thousand and if they tell that many people, I think we can get there pretty close. So I'm hoping um, that if I get to talk, that's, that's how I'm measuring it is a hundred people this year and hoping that they tell more people. Um, and so that's hopefully it, but I don't know how I'd objectively really measure that goal. I'm just hoping that I can make a really big impact. No, I, I like that. I think that's, that's one of those things. Uh my mentor, Ambrose, he, he and I have talked about kind of his, uh, what he considers his calling or, or his goal. And it's extremely similar. His, his goal is to prevent a million, uh, overuse injuries. And like, you know, that's one of the questions I've asked him, like, how do you measure that? Like, you can't really measure it. And, you know, it's, it's, so it's a similar situation where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to, impart as much knowledge as I can on the athletes that I work with and their parents and then the coaches that he interacts with and then the other uh, strength coaches, kinesiologists, athletic trainers, physical therapists, orthopedic surgeons, everyone else that he, you know, is able to interact with. And um, by sharing kind of his, his system and his understanding of how all of these all of these injuries, you know, these are non-contact injuries for the most part. We're not talking about, um, you know, concussions in football. We're talking about um, ACL tears. We're talking about um, stress fractures. We're talking about sprained ankles. We're talking about things that um, should be preventable. And then, uh, so I guess let's go into a little bit about, um, I guess, what makes these preventable and what's the, what's your general, uh, system of, uh, of preventing these injuries? I think that is a great question. I do not think that all injuries are preventable, right? So things, I can't guarantee prevention because accidents happen and there's, there's just ways I can help ease the potential for an injury, right? So there's known things that are out there that say, okay, you really have to look at workload volume, right? And in volleyball, we're looking at jumps and lands and swings. That's the main thing, right? Like those are the two big things that happen in the sport. So I'm really trying to educate people about their preseason training, right? Their workload volume preseason and then in-season activities to be doing, right? Like what type of strength are you doing in season? How are you scheduling practices? Things of that nature to try to prevent overuse. What I have found talking with coaches so far is that not a lot of them measure that. A lot of these youth coaches really don't even understand what I'm saying when I say, well, what's your workload volume? Like, 
they don't really understand, okay, they're doing, they don't understand the mechanics of the movement as much as how to coach the movement, right? Or say, okay, this is what we need to do to get in this position or this drill is supposed to help with that. But they don't understand that not everyone is prepared for that drill and what that even looks like. And another thing that I teach is um, a lot of people get hurt and injured when they return to sport from rehabilitation. And that's a big component too, that a lot of people aren't understanding kind of how to reintegrate the athlete once Mm -hmm. they've been released by their doctor, right? So if they've had a surgery, um, they've had a surgery, they've gone to physical therapy. If they went the insurance model, they're going to be discharged well before they're ready to perform. Mm -hmm. They may be stable, right? And in, in surgeon terms, stable, the surgeon washes their hands of you because you're good. The physical therapist is seeing you there. The insurance says er, you only get 20 visits for this or you only get 15 visits for this diagnosis, even though we know like ACL, it can take upwards of a year before you're really ready to return to sport. And how do how that's a lot of mental stuff going on there, too. So how do these coaches safely take these people, these young athletes and integrate them back into the sport? They really there's no education for them for that. The physical therapist is done because you're not going to their office anymore because of HIPAA, because of liability laws. We're not allowed to reach out to the coaches and speak about the patient. Um, so what? Do we, where's that? There's a gap now, right? Where coaches just come in and think, oh, this athlete's been sitting there for a for a, a year in therapy. They've been training. Well, no, a lot of physical therapy is not sport related. Like a lot of physical therapists may not understand the demands of volleyball. They just they're loaded up. They know how they get you back. They know they got to get you running, but they might not understand, you know, um, how long does each play last? How long are you actually in motion for? They may understand you need to jump land, pivot, cut, dive. Great. But they don't really understand swing. They really don't understand like how long do you need to do those things to appropriately set the workload. Um, And I don't know, when I was a physical therapist, I didn't have time to look up every sport if I didn't understand it. Like I'd never treated a lacrosse player before. I've never played lacrosse. I had to look up what lacrosse is. I have 25 minutes on my lunch break to look up what lacrosse, like the demands of lacrosse and try to do a quick Google search, right? Like, I'm just being honest here. Like, that's not my sport, but I'll treat you as best I can mm-hmm. um, when you're coming in. And then your insurance gave me six visits which, with and only allows me to bill certain codes, which really either I'm working for free or I bill those codes and have to kind of be dictated, right? So that kind of sucks for the rehab world. And that's where I'm hoping to bridge my gap with education is how to reintegrate to sport and reintegrate to performance, which are different, right? So just getting into sport is way different than getting up into high performance um, and being able to be more athletic and demanding. So I think the biggest thing is just trying to give education as best I can about how to prevent injuries, meaning how to schedule your workload, how to warm up appropriately, how to get the body prepared for the demands you're placing upon it, Mm -hmm. and how to recognize when there's too much demand, how to talk to your athletes and recognize and get them to tell you that, hey, that's too much. So that's kind of where I've been focusing a lot of my effort for the prevention side of things is, is on educating what I can um, to, to coaches and, and hopefully parents in the meantime, too, they'll get a chance to listen to some of my podcasts or see some of the content I'm putting out, um, from the coaches, right? That's the first person. And then they can hopefully have their athletes watch some of these videos if they're not quite sure how to explain it. But that's a big thing is just finding what are the common injuries that happen in volleyball and lateral ankle sprain is the number one injury in volleyball, right? Number one by far. So, 
how do I help people understand what it means to have an ankle sprain, how to recover and when to brace, how to brace, when to push, when not to push, how to structure landing, how to do strengthening, um, what you should be preparing, when you should be doing certain strengthenings and and when you should pull back because it's going to be too much on your tendons, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Does that kind of answer your question, Kevin? For sure. No, I think that's, uh, it's sounds very similar to, um, so I came out of, uh, out of grad school, I was working with a professional running club in Indianapolis. My background is in uh, cross country and track and field. So I wanted to work with uh, those type of athletes at a high level. And after doing that in Indianapolis, um, uh, I was like, this weather sucks. The Midwest is awful. Um, I wanted to come back to Texas and uh, I wanted to work with youth athletes. I I've just, I've always enjoyed that. And so I was able to, to connect with this guy, Ambrose Coleman and uh, what he was able to teach me that really blew my mind was that strength coaches and sport performance coaches are really good at teaching athletes how to lift, but they're not good at all at teaching them how to decelerate Uh, outside of the sagittal plane, uh, change direction, re-accelerate, cut, pivot, some of those other things that you said. And so before before our our main focus was touching a barbell, before we did that, it was first and foremost to teach not only proper sprint mechanics forward, but then also deceleration like the faster you go the better your brakes have to be right so if you are a race car and you don't have legit brakes you don't have solid brakes like sorry you're you're not going to win the race you're probably going to crash right so from an athletic standpoint um our goal was always you know whether we had a, a five or a six year old or whether we had a high school or a college athlete like the fundamentals of movement don't change. And so um, we could see in a class a volleyball player, a softball player, a football player, and a cross-country runner, and there wasn't a whole lot of variation when it came to training uh, what we call athletic skills or athletic movements. And then when it came to the strength and conditioning, that's where things were, you know, a little different. So... It sounds to me like it's uh, there's quite a bit of overlap, and what I really appreciate is I'm coming at at this from a strength coach or the kinesiology perspective, and you're coming at it from more of the clinical physical therapy side, and the thing that I love about uh, all of the professions within within the let's say health, wellness, exercise, physiology, rehab sort of thing is we, we all have access to the same science. We all have access to the same textbooks. We all have access to the same bodies. Like that's, that's what we're working on. Um, the specific lane that we're in has a little bit of overlap. You know, I'm not driving in your lane. You're not driving in my lane, but we're on the same road. Right. So that's what I really appreciate. I think that it's really, really good for people to hear that um, 
it's it's not enough to get cleared by your PT or cleared by your ortho and assume you're ready for competitive play. Like you're you're physically not ready. There's like you said a huge gap in there that you've you've got to you've got to not only recondition the body from a metabolic standpoint, but there's also a lot of uh, nuanced movements that you've you've got to retrain. You've got new software to upload to your neurological system. So I think it's really cool that, that oh, you brought that, that up. I love that. You have new software to upload. I love that so much. You definitely do. You have to update because yes. your brain has to reconnect to your body, right? So anytime we have pain in the body, we kind of get this um, smudging effect in the brain. So if you have pain in a region, you used to be like, it's like, I always tell people, it's like you have a map. You have our blueprint to a house, right? It's all the schematics. It's laid out perfectly. You know exactly where every little outlet's going to go. And then pain is like someone comes around and spills coffee on your blueprint. And now everything's kind of, kind of there, but you can't quite tell exactly where that outlet's supposed to go. Mm -hmm. And so what we do in rehab a lot of the time is we really try to sharpen and redraw those lines on the blueprint so that way you can read the schematic again. And usually that's where physical therapy tends to end because we've got pain under control and then our lane is like, get your neuromuscular system back on. But typically physical therapy just kind of ends right there. Like there's a gap that happens because I don't think that we're allowed a lot of the time or understand a lot of the time that we have more due diligence to, to provide for these athletes. And usually around that time is when I start having athletes work with folks who are in the strength conditioning world, like we're working together now. Mm -hmm. um, they're out of pain. We're still working on cleaning up some of these movements, but they still need to start loading a lot more than what I usually have the capability with in a physical therapy gym, unless it's a performance gym, right? That already has some of this other stuff in there as well. But your typical outpatient physical therapy doesn't have that. Um, so that's when I usually have my athletes begin to work with a performance coach um, in that way too. And they've been reintegrated, but we're still cleaning up some of those neuromuscular pens or those blueprints. And I think that's such a great way to say it, the, the upload software. I'm going to use that a little bit too now. It's just another way to connect people's thoughts, right? Like, oh, yeah. I, it's really cool that um, you and your mentor are working towards that. I think that what we do is very underserved in youth athletics. Very much so. They do. Most youth athletics do not have access to any kind of strength conditioning coach, any kind of athletic trainer, any kind of physical therapy, any kind of rehab, nothing like that for recovery, for anything. They just don't have access to it unless they pay privately. Um, their mm -hmm. parents take them to do private stuff. But your general clubs and high schools, they just don't have access to that. And I mean, I'm, I don't know, my high school sports, like, and what I understand from high school sports, like the athletic trainer really did not pay attention to many sports outside of football because there was one of them. And there's, you know, three football teams, there's a varsity, a JV and a freshman team. And football mm -hmm. teams are huge. Like yep. there's hundreds of kids for one athletic trainer. And then you spread that across cross country too. Like, come on, that's just too much demand for one person to truly be able to do much. Like mm -hmm. there's just not much that that person can do for all those kiddos. And that's kind of sad. And, and really it makes me mad more than anything like it, i don't want to say curse words on here but it pees you're me allowed off. You're it allowed. pisses me off <laughs> <laughs> like, that we treat our kids this way and we put such a demand on them and then don't give them the resources that they need like we expect them to play like a professional athlete but do not give them any of the resources of a professional athlete like come on that's stupid yeah yeah let's set them up for failure in other ways too right like this is yeah, it, that's so tough. And even even when a high school team does have a strength coach, so often 
you know, the strength coach has, you know, one hour, maybe two to three times a week. And in that hour, they're expected to, uh, to deliver results that the head coach wants. And often the head coach is like, okay, make that, just make them stronger. That's, that's your job. Your strength coach, make them stronger, get them a stronger squat, get them a stronger bench and maybe, maybe deadlift, you know, definitely clean if it's the football team, you know, and it's, it's things like that, that are, that are nice, right? They're nice. They're when you see that on paper, like, Oh, you know, on average, our team went from, you know, they averaged 350 in the squat at the beginning of the season. At the end of the season, they were up at 405 or something like that. Like, Oh, that's really cool. However, it kind of, I take it back to that whole idea of you're, you're teaching a vertical deceleration pattern in the weight room and on the football field, vertical deceleration. Yeah. That's important. If you are jumping to block a field goal or if you're jumping in the air to catch a ball or jumping in the air to defend against them, but you're also sprinting forward. You're also cutting like these deceleration patterns exist in three dimensions, not just in the sagittal plane. So even, even when there are strength coaches, oftentimes they don't have the time to do as much as we would like. And so unfortunately, like you said, the kids who can afford to get uh, private help tend to tend to be able to do better and last longer, you know, in, a, in their sporting career, just because, you know, the chances of them getting a little bit more help or better help are a little bit higher. So yeah, that, that does kind of suck. That's the world we live in, unfortunately. Yeah. I like that you keep mentioning deceleration and how important it is for deceleration. I think I'm going to, I'm going to take a step back for a second and say that deceleration is where people get injured. Controlling their movement to slow down is where people get injured. Um, and for non-contact, right? If you're not having a contact injury, it's just you and you just come down or you try to slow down that deceleration is, is big. That's where injuries happen. And mm -hmm. so getting people to really understand how to appropriately slow their body down from all the force that they just exerted is huge. That's a, that's a big point of what I'm focused on to prevent injuries as well as, is teaching that, um, to these coaches is how do you really set up on the court to allow them to slow down and give these kids space or even teach them how to slow down or how to teach them to control their muscles when they're in a stretched out position. Like that's when injuries occur most of the time. Yeah. How much of the weight room is spent on eccentric loading versus concentric loading? Like that's one aspect of deceleration, but, um, yeah, like so much of the weight room is concentric focused and you you train these muscles to generate force but not to absorb force and yeah, you you blow out the brakes and then the knees are the first to go or the ankles or whatever the case may be. So, yeah. That's so true. That's true. In volleyball it's the shoulder a lot because of the vibration mm. of the rotator cuff, right? As you're coming through the swing um and then landing, right? So knees and ankles, but those are the big ones, ankles, knees, and shoulders. Heads, shoulders, knees, and toes. <laughs> I, 
I think you're muted right now, so no one can even hear you laugh. Yeah, sorry, I was mute. I'm muted because I can't find my headphones, so I didn't want oh. to everyone to have a bunch of feedback whenever you're talking. So I just have <laughs> muted. So my husband and I are sharing this office um, during COVID times, right? Mm. So he's home a lot more now, and I'm home a lot more now. Um, so I we've been sharing his office. He gets it during the day, and I take it over at night. And then during the day, I'm in all over. I'm just wherever. I I can't stay in one spot like he can all day long. So. But yeah, he's, it's a mess. He's got stuff everywhere for me. So I don't know where he put them. So I'm muting myself when you talk. So that way I'm being respectful to all the audience. They don't hear a bunch of like reverb and feedback, you know? (laughs) Nice. Well, that's very thoughtful of you. So I will, uh, uh, I was going to ask this question later, but I think this is a really good spot to throw it in. So um, one of your recent Instagram posts you talked about landing mechanics and uh, you showed a picture of, uh, you know, legs landing with the knees coming in and there are, you know, they're basically touching where the thighs are touching. And um, so talk a little bit about um, how that position where there's excessive knee valgus, how that uh, can compromise your structural integrity when landing. And then, um, Let's start with the landing portion, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, the jumping portion, which I have uh, – I'd just like to pick your brain about. Of course. So we were talking about um, landing valgus, and and that just means landing kind of knock need for kind of laymen people who are listening to this that may not have medical background or, like, training in that. That's where someone comes down and their knees come together and they land kind of knock need position, feet kind of splayed out. And that can be detrimental to your knee ligamentous – your knee ligaments. So your knee ligamentous structures can really take a lot of stretch during those times. So if you come down – I'm going to just use volleyball because that's what I know really well. Mm-hmm. We're coming down from a hit – and you're coming down from an attack, and we want to land on two feet. That's that's the first important part of volleyball landing mechanics. Did you want to land on two feet versus one? It really it allows you to disperse force as you're landing and absorb the ground a little bit more through two feet versus one. Most injuries to the ACL come from a landing on one foot in, vo- in volleyball. That's what I've seen in research so far, is that that's where injury occurs. And that's because now if you're landing and your knees are coming in together – if you think about where every force you put down, there's there's equal and opposite force that comes back up to you. So as you land, you have all of your mass coming down. That's a force coming to the ground. And when you hit the ground, force comes back up. And with the knees coming in towards each other, it just changes where force is distributed back up through your body. It also eats some of your power to be able to rebound back up off, right? Mm-hmm. So it takes away some of that a power and ability to use that force again to explode up. So if your knees are coming in together, and you're landing, you're no longer transferring force through major bones and, and muscles that surround your joints, where that's where we're the weakest at anyway, anywhere in your body where there's a transition, right, from one bone to the next or, or one shape of bone to the next, that becomes kind of a weak chain in the link. It can't, that's where injuries tend to happen, right? So if we're coming through and the ankle no longer is absorbing good force, you've kind of, you you come in, you don't put the Achilles tendon in its full ability to rebound. You don't have your feet in the in a full a position for your plantar fascia to absorb all the ground reaction force. What happens is you just translate all that force into your ligamentous tissue in your knee. And it's not designed to take all of that force. So landing with a ton of valgus or knee knock position can really cause havoc on your knees in particular because they're kind of in the middle of the leg 
they're just meant to transfer force up and down. They don't really create a lot. They're kind of, they're at the mercy of how your hip and ankle are focused and, and working. And if you're in knee valgus, you already have your hips kind of pulled in. You're taking the glutes out, which are big powerhouses to come through and absorb this force and, and send it back up into the world. Um, so yeah, so landing like that, it just puts your ligaments at a, a little bit of a disadvantage. There is such a thing as dynamic valgus, right? So you come in and out of this knock knee position a little bit through any athletic position you're in. It's really, I don't want people to get caught up in the fact that, oh my God, I have to have my knee in this position or I have to have, my knees can't go over my toes. No, they can and they should, right? Through movements because that's how we're designed to move. And I, you know, there's not really a black, like a black and white. It's all shades of gray in Mm -hmm. body movement because everyone's so different, you know? Your hips are structured a little differently than mine. If someone already has a little bit of extra antiversion or internal rotation of their femurs or their thigh bones are kind of rolled in, right? They're going to land in more valgus because their hip structure is set in that way. And if I kind of continually try to rotate them out, now I put them at chance for dislocation as they absorb force because their body's different. So I can't say everybody shouldn't land in valgus, but there's some degree that you're like, whoa, if you can not do that then don't right like you don't want to put that extra stress on your ligamentous tissue and i say dynamic valgus because you should move in and out of degrees of it as you jump and land um but it shouldn't be automatic all this force is coming through there it's very small degrees in or out yeah i've seen um uh, skateboarders go off these huge jumps either off of steps or off of ramps and you know their their knees are like just caved way way in and like looking at it when you when they land i'm just like oh like they had to just blow their knee out and then they pop right up and they're fine and so i think a lot of that is not only like uh genetically uh driven but then also there has to be some sort of training aspect or conditioning aspect where they didn't start out doing that but you know as they jumped more and more steps or further on the ramp or higher on the ramp like there's a training adaptation there where um you know the ligaments can take on more load the muscles around the knee can take on a little bit more give let's say um but i think that's probably more of an exception to the rule um and i don't think it's it's a good idea just to uh for people to say oh look, that person can do it, so we should all do that. Um, I think, you know, like you said, there's a range of normal movement, especially at the knee. It's, you know, we call it a hinge joint, but it it does more than just uh, flex and extend in that sagittal plane. Like, there is some lateral give, and um, that's important. Uh, So, most of what I do is deal with, uh, with as, at least with adult athletes, is with runners and, and triathletes and uh, predominantly marathon, half marathon, and then full Ironman, half Ironman. And um, if your knees are caving in big time every step, uh, usually it's, it's combined with excessive uh, pronation and completely collapsing arch and they're not able to absorb force. They can't apply force. And I'm not sure what the, what the ground reaction forces are with, uh, with jumping and landing on both feet, but in running, uh, we're looking at, 
you know, four times your body weight in ground reaction force with like jogging that can go all the way up to 10, 12 times your body weight and ground reaction force. Every time you take a step, if you're sprinting, you know, that's way, way up there. But I mean, if four times your body weight, if you weigh, let's say you weigh a hundred pounds and you're running a marathon, that's 400 pounds of force. That's pushed that the ground is pushing right back at you. And if you've got that, even a slight knee valgus, that sheer stress around the knee, instead of, like you said, the body being able to absorb, dissipate and recycle and reuse that force. Um, you're not only increasing your risk of injury, you're leaving performance on the table. You're slower than you could be. I mean, yeah, you could be way faster. So that's just one of those things. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I like that you said that about running runners, you're in single stance every stride. You're always on, if you're running at a good clip, you're never on two feet. You're always Mm -hmm. on one at a time, which is fantastic when you think about it. But um, and how people, I'm, I'm always impressed. Like before I started working with my own company, I had this reputation all of a sudden that I was working with ultra marathon runners here. I, you know, you help one and then they spread the word cause the community is so small. Mm-hmm. Next thing I know, I was like getting all these calls to the clinic and they're like, do you work with ultra marathoners? I'm like, I guess so. Yeah. It depends <laughs> on what you have going on. Like if it's something I can treat, sure. If it's something I know, yeah, if not, I'm going to give you a referral to someone else that I know in the, in the area. But yeah, it was so weird, but uh, I had one guy who came in and he kept having um, ankle pains and chronic calf tightness when he would get to like a mile 25, right? His his stride was hideous. His knee would just come well, I mean, one leg, his knee would almost touch the other just as soon as he got into like his stride, right? Like once he started going, I was just like, whoa, what is going on with that? But it was his hip. His hip was just fatiguing so fast on that side. He had like his muscles were just toast mm-hmm. by about 25 minutes into a run. You could start seeing it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like, and now you're running 50 miles on that bad boy. No wonder why you're coming to me. Your ankles all flared up your toes, your big toes, just dead. It's got a huge bunny next to it. It's all tore up. The nails just gone on one side of your toe mm-hmm. and your knees blown up. It, it's gapping. Like when I test the ligamentous structure, it's just, Ooh loose is all get out because you've been running and running and training on it and then your hip you couldn't you couldn't even do a side plank kevin like oh yeah it blew my mind i was just kind of like you are one of the fittest people i've ever seen in my life and you can't do a side plank for 10 seconds on that side because your hip just done like whoa it was kind of crazy but the whole thought was (laughs) he didn't he didn't control the knees at the mercy right so like i always that's an easy thing to go after you i look at ankle mobility and control within that mobility and then hip strength right like what's your hip external rotation strength what's your hip extension strength do you know how to use your hip extensors mm-hmm. right like that's a big problem i see too people use their low back a lot when, to open their stride or to get that push off they extend from their back and they just lose so much force so much power that they could be generating that just by cleaning that motion up you tend to see performance enhanced by a lot it's yeah kind of cool. Yeah, most most runners, especially endurance runners, have uh, they're so quad dominant, they're they're so hip flexor dominant. Their their ability to extend their hips is is usually pretty poor. Like they're uh, unfortunately, and this is changing, but unfortunately, it's still the case that so many runners think I don't need to strength train my lower body because I run, and 
that takes care of strength training for my legs. And it's like, yeah, but you're running. I'm sounding like a broken record here. Sagittal plane only. You're, you're not training laterally at all. You're not training rotationally at all. And so, um, the way that I tend to explain it to my athletes, to my runners is the muscles that stabilize you when you're going straight are the muscles that mobilize you when you go laterally in general. So we need to train the heck out of these lateral movers because they're going to keep you more straight when you go, when you go into your run. So, um, you know, being able to resist rotation while you run is going to limit your energy leaks and that's going to increase, you know, your, your running efficiency and performance. And then being able to move laterally will make it so that your glute med has better and your glute max fibers as well have way better control of your knee so that those adductors aren't just ripping your knee in every time you take a step because they're getting recruited as soon as your hip flexors fatigue and they're going to fatigue really quick because you're locked into an anterior pelvic tilt all the time because when you're not running you're sitting and so it's just yeah that's yeah i think that's too and i'm gonna go i'm gonna use that to jump right into the second part of your question about jumping um and how you can control it because cue volleyball we're always in kind of a squat position on our toes very female sports females already are more quad dominant most of the time than males right so but even males in volleyball you go from this really crouched position to a full triple extension right like you get mm-hmm. all the way up which is crazy when you think about it because it's so short and now i'm expecting you to elongate quickly and be able to control for an attack or a spike or a serve. You're fully, I mean, you're stretching everything on the front side out as best you can and then contracting it. Mm. Well, now think about if you're loading in practice and you're doing all these down drills where you're you're hunched over in in a squat athletic position to pass, everything on the back is kind of getting stretched out, right? Like it's in a stretch position. And then if we go directly into a jump, which is how you do in volleyball if you're playing in the front row, um, you're going directly into a jump and you're expecting your body to respond very quickly. But if you've never trained the backside to be concentric and the front side to be stretched out or eccentric loading, right? The pulling through, Mm -hmm. how do you, how do you control that? Because they're not, they're not used to, and what happens, God forbid you hit someone on the, on the other side of the net, right? Someone comes up and gives you a block and they tap you or push the ball into you and now you have to control this kind of sideways movements, but you've never trained it. Yeah, I like that. That's that's a really good point. It, it applies to many sports um, across the way, but you lose a lot of energy. I think you've already said it. You use you lose so much energy to have the knee go inward that your vertical leap is no longer as efficient and as good as it could be. Mm-hmm. So that I think that's the biggest thing is you lose the ability to, to recycle that force that you're getting from the ground. And I think that's like the only thing I remember about physics, <laughs> like equal and opposite <laughs> force, right? Like, I take to so many physics courses, and my my husband is uh, is a mechanical engineer, and he's a very much a math guy, and so I'm like, sometimes we get into these talks, and he's like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, yeah, I took physics once, and he was like, okay, but like, you only know one portion of physics because that's what really applies to you. Like, I'm talking about a whole realm of things. I'm like, oh, okay, cool, but I know equal and opposite forces, so. That's the big part in athletics. <laughs> That's every, everything comes down to that. Like you're, you're not moving. Point. Yeah. You're not moving until you apply force into the ground. So. Yeah. And I, I think for jumping, um, a lot of these 
a lot of people can, they do like, um, I hate to see the knees kiss on takeoff. Like, I don't want to see those knees cave in on takeoff. And if I see that, it's usually the hip. The hip is underperforming. The adductors are taking over. The glutes are going off. Like, they're, they're just silent. They're really not getting recruited appropriately. And sometimes it's the ankle, right? How they set the motion. Mm-hmm. And, and that they work together. Your, your feet cue what your hips are going to do. Your hips cue where your feet are going to land um, and how they're going to respond and take force. So they really work together. There's, it's, we're one body and it all connects. Um, and so I like to say to people, I really like to look at people's shoes because in especially in volleyball, like you shouldn't be in a running shoe to be on the court because the demand of the sport is totally different. Uh, running shoes, they they don't they kind of set you back a little bit, and and we're up on our tiptoes the whole time, and you don't we want to land, and you got to have ability to absorb some of that through the shoe. So, I think mm-hmm. that's the first place I start for a lot of people is I always look at their shoes. I take their shoes and just look at the bottom of them when they come into me for rehab. If they're coming to me for any kind of lower extremity injury or like low back, I just say, can you take your shoes off for me? Are these the shoes you wear daily? And then are these the shoes you wear for sport? Let me see those. And I can just tell a lot about what's working and what's not based on your shoe wear pattern, which is crazy to think about. But once you really are in tune with how the body typically moves, you know what's expected of the sport, the demand that you're looking at. You can see the shoe and just see, wow, it's really worn out here or wow, this. And then I have people take their socks off because I want to see what their feet look like. Where do they have bunions? Where do they have calluses on their feet? Where is is their foot look pristine like it's a baby's foot that's never walked before, right? <laughs> that tells me where they put force um, as they go. And if, if you're doing something all the time, then you're going to have those wear patterns on your feet and in your shoes that it's just really easy to see. So I always look at that too for, for my athletes and, and people that I'm seeing for clientele. Just let me see your shoe. Let me see what it looks Let me see what your foot looks like. Because I think it's an underappreciated thing how we translate force to the ground and then absorb it back up. It's your foundation. Um, and if you have a weak foundation, anything you put on top of it just doesn't really matter. It's not going to last. Yeah, no, that's that's so true. That's uh, it's the same with running, like looking at somebody's shoes like that. The the amount of information that you can pull from that, you can tell whether they're they're striking their heels and landing way out in front of them and and initiating a breaking force every step or whether they're uh, wearing out the inside edge and just, you know, excessively pronating and they're not getting any supination at all or whether like I've, I had a kid, uh, this past cross country season who had a diagonal wear line from the outside. It was like the outside of his heel to, uh, basically to his big toe. So it was, super super unique i had not seen that before and it was just like that line was gone and there was tread everywhere else but i'm like okay and then i watched him run and he would land way yeah like way out in front of him on the outside of his heel and then by the time he pushed off he had rolled that arch in completely and was just pushing off his big toe so it's like that He had no posterior tibialis control at all. That thing was probably so elongated and inflamed and irritated the more mileage that person did. That's that's my favorite pattern to see on a shoe. I just laugh because it's like, (laughs) does that even feel comfortable for you? Like you just went ahead and did that because 
I'm like, you need a quarter of a shoe. Just cut this shoe right down the middle, replace the middle, and you'd be good every time because your whole the four the other four toes, there's nothing going on there. Like yeah, yeah. but that that's um yeah, that poor big toe is taking a beating. Whew. They're losing yeah. their windlass mechanism. They have they're losing all the power that they could generate through that foot to have a stiff foot and push it to really propel. I bet you if you clean that up, that person became a lot faster. Yeah, after I only worked with him about three or four weeks before the season ended, but uh, even within that amount of time, we were able to change a lot just because, uh, I mean, he's a, he's a young kid, so I can't, I can't over cue him. So basically all I told him was to focus on landing with his foot underneath his hip instead of out in front of his, out in front of him. And that shifted from a heel strike to more of a midfoot strike. And then I just had to train the heck out of out of getting him off his heels where he was due to doing like uh, like weighted walking where he could he couldn't let his heels touch the ground. And that then shifted him into um, uh, inversion with his feet where his heels were were way, way out. So then we had to make some adjustments there. And um, but overall, like way, way better, even after a few weeks, just because once he understood, you know, what was going on, and this is another helpful cue that I find, um, is to like video the athlete and then show them what they look like. It's not often enough to just say, Hey, this is what you're doing. Cause in their mind, they're like, no, I'm not doing that. You're telling me what to do. And I'm executing that cue. It's like, "Mm, you think you are, your brain might be telling you that you're not. So yeah. I think that's my favorite debate to have with people is they're like, no, I'm doing that. I'm like, no, you're not. No, I'm doing that. I'm like, okay, cool. You're not, but let's, <laughs> let's show it for a second. Like, yes. let's show you what you're doing. This is what I see, but I always wait. I always, I video people and I say, well, tell me, what do you see? And sometimes people will be like, that looks perfect. And I'm like, you, you see, that looks really good. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, other people are like, oh my God, I see what's, what is my hip doing or whatever. It's kind of funny to see that. Um, and I know that's a big component of higher end athletics is they'll, they'll video the practices or the games or whatever, and break down movements that doesn't always happen. I mean, that really doesn't happen a lot in early, early sports, right? So we're talking grade school, middle school, you're not you're not having the huddle out there and, and looking at that and that's an app right for video recording huddle is the most people will use that but like you're not looking at that like they're just playing and they shouldn't <laughs> be really looking at that like kids are growing so fast that it's, it's kind of a moot point to tell them to move their body 10 degrees in this direction or whatever like I kind of tell them in general whenever you're whenever you're doing certain things that you should have pressure on your foot in these points mm-hmm. so try to feel it there Um, or you should be able to move your hip this, you know, you should feel this happening whenever you do that motion. And that way they can adjust as they grow and hit growth spurts, because that's another thing that's not accounted for in youth athletics. These kids are prepubescent and they're growing and their Mm -hmm. bones are growing. And every time their bones grow, their brain now has to learn this movement pattern again, because now their lever arm is so much longer and their muscles have to adapt to that longer lever arm. So that's another thing that I see um, typically is growth plate injuries because of the training and and the athletes don't know, like they don't, that's something else. I really challenge all, all coaches that work with any kind of youth athletics to track growth. I think that's so important to have your athletes track their growth 
And if they've grown a lot, you need to step back and work on the basics, the fundamental movement patterns without loading, without speed, without power acceptance. You're working on just controlling the new movement pattern because it's new to them. And once the, and that doesn't take long. Most of the time, kids' brains are so absorbent. Like they just boom, 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 right? They can catch on to things. But taking it back and really tracking growth is huge. And that's one thing I tell everybody that they, I'm, I'm on a soapbox for that. Check growth in your athletes, your young athletes, prepubescent athletes. Check their growth because they grow so fast. I mean, my niece, she's 14 and she's 5'9 now. But I remember when, when she was in like fourth grade, she hit a five inch growth spurt in like two months. Like just boom, right? Like, mm-hmm. holy cow. Now her legs are, so, she was a little soccer player. Poor thing. This is my favorite. Poor thing. Like she's a little soccer player. And all her little friends, are shorter than her and they're still able to kick the ball pretty far down the field. And now all of a sudden she can't kick the ball. Like she literally can't run and she can't kick the ball because she grew five inches in like eight weeks. Like her femurs were so long and her, she's, I mean, she had no muscle mass there anymore because it's all so stretched out and her little joints were taking a beating because now she's trying to play this select level soccer team and she can't kick the ball. Well, her coach, I'm going to say her coach tried to come up with a really clever idea to keep her in the sport. And he put her in the goal. And let me tell you, she is not a keeper. She was, she, the first ball that got kicked at her, she straight up ducked. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, no, thank you. Well, I was like, hey, you know what? Keeper's not for everybody. But for her, true. I mean, she had a good wingspan, but she had no idea how to control it. Mm. And she couldn't control that force. And I think that's, that's something that coaches may overlook because now you have, you know, you have in volleyball, you have 12, 15 athletes on your team at that time, many of them, if they're in fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, eighth grade boys or girls, they're growing all the time. Like they're just growing, growing, growing. You have to actually focus more on helping them control their body before you load power, before you put speed, but before you put strength in there, like you just need to help them control their body. And I think that's a message that I want everyone to know is track growth and help people that have grown control their bodies because that's over. That's where injuries happen. Like that's where injuries happen in youth sports is you're not, they're not learning how to control their longer limbs to be able to decelerate them, to be able to create power through them. They just add speed. Speed's the quickest thing, right? Like it's easy to get. It's the first thing that people default to. If they're off balance, they add speed to it because I can't fall if I go faster. Like my brain doesn't have to think as hard if I go faster. So they just try to add speed and then you can't slow yourself down. And when that happens, that's injuries. So I think that is a challenge I put out there for everyone that works with youth athletics is take time to think about it and track growth. And I'm talking like if they grow a couple inches, if they grow an inch, you're not going to notice. Like if you're seeing that person a couple times, the kid's not going to notice. You're not going to notice. Like, but on Mondays when they come into the gym, just have them measure themselves, you know, two minutes. It takes two minutes to have the whole team measure it and write it in their own little tracker. And if they see, if this athlete, they're y'all young athletes, even third graders can do this. If they see that they've changed more than an inch in two weeks, come talk to the coach because practice needs to change for you a little bit. Hmm. And you may find that you have a whole group of them that have changed all of a sudden and you didn't even notice it, right? Because it's it's really hard to notice an inch or a half inch. Um, but that's, that's something I, I put on anybody who works with any kind of youth is watch their growth because if you're pushing someone and they just grown, Whew, you're doing a disservice to that person, that athlete, that that young person. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, some kids are going to they're going to feel those growing pains and some kids may not 
really feel a whole lot, even though they're experiencing a lot of change. And if you're if you're not managing that variable, then you're leaving yourself open to to some serious issues there. So I think that's really good advice. So um, let's say that there is a youth volleyball athlete out there um, who has experienced an injury or who um, has some questions. Uh, can they go through uh, like your online physical therapy to reach out to you for some help? For sure. So um, with my license, I'm bound to treat patients who are only in the states in which I'm licensed as a physical therapist. So currently I'm only licensed in Colorado and Illinois. Um, that's where I have active licenses. So if, if an athlete is in one of those states, be it they live there or they're just visiting there, as long as they're physically located in one of those states at the time we're speaking, then I can treat them. However, any athlete that's a volleyball athlete that has questions I do offer consultations and I have a plethora of individuals across the country, across the United States. I even have some folks in Canada, Australia, um, uh, where's my, but yeah, those are main, the big ones and that I can connect you to and see if I have someone who can help you that really understands what you're going through. I mean, I have, I've known people all over the country that are great therapists that really understand how to treat athletes and, and how to kind of get you where you need to be. Um, that offer in person and online. So I'm happy to connect people if they ever have questions. They can just visit my website, which is www.calibrated, C A L I B R A T E D P T.com. Uh, so calibratedpt.com. And I have a live chat on there that comes straight to my cell phone and I just reply to people. Um, they can book an appointment or whatever, figure it out, book a consultation, which is just a free video chat that I do just to see if I can help you or not. Um, and if I can't, who can I connect you to to help you? Um, so that's I'm more than happy to help anybody who has questions. You can reach out to me on social media if you have a question and we can kind of figure out how to set something up to talk more about it. Um, on my Instagram is probably the best. Uh, it's one that seems to be a little bit easier to get messages through, which is calibrated.pt on Instagram or my Facebook page is calibrated physical therapy, PLLC. So any of those, those are the two social medias that I'm on, but my website is probably the best, um, just because it tells you a little bit about me. It has my podcast on there. So you may be able to, I have video bonus features to all my podcasts that kind of break down the exercises or shows people the exercises. Um, I, I gear that more towards coaches. So I really empower coaches to go on there and look at that to help themselves learn a little bit more and not feel like they have to wear a thousand hats, right? I think youth coaches feel like they have to wear every hat and they really shouldn't have to. Like there's a team there to support you. You just have to find them. Um, and I want to be part of your team, right? So I always tell people I'm trying out, right? You're holding tryouts for me. And, and what I show you is a good tryout. And so I'm hoping that if I try out for people's teams, they want me on them. Um, and I'm only doing that by providing education, which is knowledge is power. And that's what I have, right? Like I've, I've been through school. I have all this knowledge. I've taken the time to learn more. Let me be a part of your team to help you out, either be it in rehab or in prehab or prevention and recovery. Um, so I, I like to cover all those things for volleyball so that people are more than happy to reach out to me at any point in time, whether you're in my state or not. Um, and I can connect you or at least give you some easy tips to get started. That's awesome. So let's talk a little bit more about your podcast. Um, so uh, it's called the Volleyball Coaches Corner. And yes. 
Excellent. And tell us a little bit about uh, just how long you've been doing that and um, some of the specific topics that you've covered and um, kind of the goal that you have for the podcast. Yeah, so I, well, first, why I started my podcast, right? So I only started this podcast because I had a baby in February and I was found myself having a lot of free time in the evenings whenever my child was nursing or waking up, right? You don't sleep a lot as a new parent early on and you're up. I was up all the time. So I'm like, well, now I'm awake because I've woken up and now I'm up all night. So what can I do? So I just started researching about podcasting and thought, you know, this could be a great way to help spread some of my message. I try to keep my podcast under 30 minutes. That way it's quick to absorb. It's not an overload. I cover one topic. I try to, I open up my podcast. If any coach anywhere has a question about one of their players that had an injury or how to prevent a certain injury, like all of a sudden they're like, wow, last season I had like 10 ankle sprains. Like half my team was out. What that's a, you need to think, what did I do wrong? Perfect. Be my guest. Come on to my podcast. Ask this question because if you have it, I guarantee you hundreds of other people have that exact same question. Let me get this out there and let me educate you and everyone else who's listening about it. So that's the kind of topics I like to cover um, is with coaches. And that's, I find a lot of people aren't quite sure. They're kind of afraid to come onto a podcast, right? Like they're like, Ooh, I don't know. But honestly, it's just a conversation. And if it's not a good conversation, I won't post it. Like I ask my guests, like, are you okay with me posting this? Like, is it okay if I use this as my podcast? Because I want to, I want to share that education. But if you say no, you say no, like, Great. You said, no, I will not go against your will and just start posting everything. I always do it on video. If I'm always on video because I want you to see me and I don't care if you're on video or not, because it's up to you. It's your preference. So I like that. But I have um, other healthcare professionals come on other strength conditioning professionals, nutrition, psychologist. Um, I'm going to hopefully get an orthopedic surgeon to come on and talk about a little bit about what it means for them to be done with the surgery and, and kind of wash their hands of you so people can understand that a little bit more because being being I think that's an underrated thing that people don't understand. So I try to cover quick topics so far. We've I've done mostly lower extremity this in season one and a little bit about nutrition. And so we've covered. Oh, let's see. Plantar fasciitis for the coaches, right? For adults. Um Osgood Slaughter's disease, which is a growth injury at the knee, jumper's knee or patellar tendonitis, which is at the knee, ACL, PCL, all the ligaments of the knee we've covered. So pretty much everything in the knee I've covered. I've covered lateral ankle sprains, leg length discrepancy, so one leg longer than the other. I think that's a concussion. I had one of my uh, colleagues and good friends come on and talk to about concussion and kind of what it means for as far as guidelines of how long to wait in between getting uh, advancing through the stages to return fully and, and kind of breaking that down, which is cool. And I've had a, new, uh, a registered dietitian and nutritionist who's also an Olympic lifter come on and kind of talk about tournament days and, and eating and, and not putting so much of a, of a phobia around food. Like food's not your enemy. Like all foods are good in some way, shape or form. It just depends on how you eat them and when, and you shouldn't shame kids about it and create body dysmorphia in boys and girls, which is another topic I can go on for forever because I cannot stand that. Um, is when people do that to young kids, it's already eating disorders already out of control. And I think, um, my whole goal with the first one is just education. I have, I've been recording that. I think I'm on week 14. So I started 14 weeks ago and I'm going to nice. say I started 15 weeks ago. So I gave myself like a bunch of time just to think about it and kind of write out ideas and topics. And then I gave myself one week to try to, 
to get people on my podcast. And some sometimes I have guests, sometimes I go solo, whatever. It just kind of depends on the vibe. And it's been kind of fun. I've really enjoyed it. I've thought, well, this is kind of a fun thing. I can talk about volleyball and I can talk about rehab all day long. Like you yeah. will literally have to cut me off. I, I can just keep talking. It's fun. It's fun for me. Like I get so excited about it because I'm passionate about those two things. And, and I've married both those passions together, which if you find that that's a fire, like if you find people that do that, that that's their fire, right? Like you, like you, you found a passion that you do and you're like, this is what I do and I'm good at. And if you love what you do, you're going to give more to people, I find. So if you dread, you know, seeing that person or dread treating that kind of person or that kind of injury or working in that kind of realm, like you're going to give a very subpar service. Mm-hmm. And that's not cool. So like marry your passions and really give good service. So that's season one. Um, season one, I don't know when this episode is going to come out, but on um, next Sunday, which is what, 11, 22, November 22nd, I think is next Sunday. or t- Yeah, I think so. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And November 22nd, I have a very serious topic coming out um, that I'm hoping, even with you, and I'm going to promote it here. I hope that's okay. It's about go for it. It's about teen suicide, preventing teen suicide, which is huge. So I talked to a doctor of psychology, and she comes on to the podcast, and she gave 31 minutes of probably the best information that I can get out there to people about teen suicide. Um, wow. it's so impactful I think in most people so anybody that has a kid or works with kids works with teenagers like you should listen to this podcast you should listen to that episode if you don't listen to anything else I do great I don't it's fine that's I'm not everyone's cup of tea and I get that but everyone should listen to that episode that works with teenagers because she in 30 minutes she gave just loads I can't even tell you just loads of great information about how to recognize the risk factors, like what what are some pre-existing risk factors, what are the warning signs that someone's contemplating suicide, what resources are out there to help you understand what to do in that situation if you do come across someone who you think is contemplating suicide, what healthcare professional, how to navigate the system to get contact with the right person, to get the right help for that person, and then... The tragic side is what, how to help your, how to grieve, how to help these other young people grieve around the loss yeah. and, and find it. So she gave all that information in 30, I mean, it's wow. to the point it's, it's there and it's very impactful. So that's a big, a big one that I wanted to get out there in season one is like not only physical stuff, but emotional stuff matters too. And I did it on my ACL podcast episode. We have a, I have a friend that she's had multiple ACL repairs and it actually had caused her to have to pivot out of soccer. She was a really big soccer athlete. Um, her second repair left her so loose in the knee that she no longer had ligamentous stability. The surgeon that actually did the surgery, when he went to go recheck her, he said, so when's your surgery scheduled? Okay. That's nothing you ever want to hear post-surgical. Several months, you know, she's three wow. months, four months post-surgical, and the doctor comes in and checks the stability of the knee and says, okay, when's your surgery scheduled? <laughs> Whoops, the daisies. We talk about a mental impact. So not only did she talk about kind of, we talked about, you know, how to prevent some ACL injuries, things that you could do. She also talked about the mental impact of what happens when someone does tear their ACL and how you as a coach, a teammate, a parent, a friend can help support that person through their journey because it's a long journey and it's hard. And so there's a lot of little things like that that go into each episode too that really talk about the mental aspect of, 
helping an athlete overcome their fear and their worries and have support on multiple levels that we cover in season one. Season two, I've already recorded. It's going to release in December of 2020. That's all. It's a fun little topic. It's all coaches who are also parents. And so they coach their own kids in that dynamic, that coach parent dynamic, um, which is super cool. So I have that's my season two. So I'm taking it away from injuries and kind of taking it into a different aspect of the sport. Um, season three, I've already started recording episodes for that too, just because once you start talking to people, people really want to come on and, and tell their stories. Right. So it's kind of yeah. cool. Um, but we're going back to talking with other professionals and coaches about injuries and nutrition and, and kind of that stuff again. And then season four, I'm doing a how to series. So like quick little five minute tidbits. So I'm, I've already have several years worth planned. So there's a You've whole lot of stuff that people can, can gain. But yes. I've, I thought about it for months, you know, Kevin, like <laughs> there's not, if my brain was clicking, it was clicking. And so I had to write it all down when I had time. But I think that'll be pretty fun. I think um, some of the injury stuff, it's just basic touching on it and helping you kind of navigate that reintegration phase. Like, what do I do to get these kids coming back from ankle sprains? How can I make sure I'm not pushing them too hard? I want to make sure that comes across. But also there's a different aspect to it, some funniness, some lightheartedness and, and some mental training aspect to it that I think it's overlooked that I try to bring in every every season's a little bit different. So there's always something new um, if you you know, if injury stuff is not where you want to be, then great. Go listen to the how to series or go listen to some of these other, these other episodes to hopefully have you in there. And then I do the bonus features, of course, just because if I'm talking about an exercise, it's really hard. I don't do video. It's just all audio. So Mm -hmm. it's really hard for people to understand that. So I just say, you know what, if you want to see this exercise or what I'm talking about, go check out the video features, which are hosted on my website. Um, and it's just quick. I try to keep them five to seven minutes at most and we just break through it. And then for coaches, I have a Facebook group. So I have a private Facebook group that I invite volleyball coaches, any volleyball coach that's a youth coach. Um, if you're in college, a lot of the information is not going to be applicable to you. But if you're high school, middle school, grade school, and you're a coach, I really, I have a coach's, um, pot, uh, group that I invite all coaches into that are in that range volleyball because I really, I do a move your feet Monday where we do like some kind of movement drill every Monday. I come on and do a live every Friday, either research article review or some kind of training that somebody has asked for or understand. And then I post a ton of, of free content in there for people. Um, and that's called volleyball coaches corner injury prevention and return to sport on mm-hmm. Facebook. If you search that group and that's, um, really where most people can reach me and and figure out what's going on and listen to episodes or watch videos that I have to just, I call it to calibrate their, their, their training, (laughs) right? (laughs) We're going to calibrate your training a little bit more and and elevate you. So you're going to be a calibrated coach at that point in time, because now you're really thinking on multiple levels and and I'm all about play on words and and like jokes and word puns. That's kind of my thing. (laughs) I like it. So you might appreciate this then. Um, my last name is Kuhn, K-U-H-N. My, uh, my first business I called Kuhnesiology. And, uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, nobody could spell it. Nobody could pronounce it. And I was like, all right, athlete factors it is. So. Yeah, right. Like you try to be like, okay, it's not a very Googleable, Googleable business name, which means you're not being found, and and then you can't shine in what you do best. So yeah, that's exactly. Um, I I came up with the calibrated physical therapy, and then I, it's all about volleyball. So then people are like, that doesn't relate to volleyball. I'm like, 
it can. Because <laughs> calibrated can relate to a lot of things because it That's just true. means you really thought it out and you really honed it in, right? So, but yeah, it's I've run into that too. And I'm like, maybe I should have just called it volleyball therapy. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's right on the nose, isn't it? That's. <laughs> but people get it. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, leave that's true. Any room for for anything else to come in. Yeah, they'll know exactly what what you're all about. That's for sure. So, awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. This has been a really fun conversation. I've really uh, enjoyed it and uh, learned a lot. And um, best of luck on the podcast. But it sounds like you're just you're just blowing up already. You've got, so how long are each of these seasons, by the way? Um, right now, season one is going to be 17 episodes. So I'm, and season two, I, I think is going to be the same. So I'm shooting for about 17 to 20 episodes in a season. So I'm going old school TV style, right? They do 2021 20, episodes in a season and instead of this like six pack, but I'm trying to go 17 to 20, 20 episodes for a season. I drop a new episode every Sunday. Um, I think for the, um, coach parent dynamic I'm going to do two at once I might drop two episodes at once um on a Sunday I don't know I haven't decided yet if I want to do that because I know I've recorded 21 of them and I'm like okay that's a really long time to just be talking every week of 21 weeks of that is a long time so I think I'm going to cut it back and do two episodes at once um and just have like multiple kind of viewpoints going on that you can listen to back to back or whenever. Um, but yeah, I think that's really cool. I want to say thank you so much, Kevin, for allowing me to come on to your podcast and spread my mission and spread my goal. Like I really, really appreciate you helping me out by talking to you. And now everyone listening to your audience helps me towards my hundred thousand preventable injuries, right? Like you just help me elevate my, I don't know what your audience is, but by that (laughs) many people. So if two people listen to this, that's even better. So I have you and two others, like that's right. Perfect. So thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. For sure. Yeah. I, I wish that I had done the, the whole season thing. I just, I've just been doing one episode every week, basically since I started. So you are episode number 79. So I don't know if that number means anything to you, but congratulations regardless. Heck yes, (laughs) my lucky number now, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, awesome. Well, uh, yes, thanks again, everybody. Oh, uh, what's your Instagram one more time? It's calibrated.pt. Awesome. So I'll throw that into the show notes so that everybody can can follow you and reach out to you if they need to. Um, But yeah, hopefully we'll get you on again down the road um to to talk more talk more shop talk more about um how this hundred thousand goal is rolling and uh yeah that that goal really resonates with me like i'm all about preventing uh these these injuries that you know they shouldn't happen they shouldn't be happening so and when we correct mechanics and and Educate the coaches, educate the athletes, educate the parents, you know, good things happen. So, all righty, y'all. Thanks for watching and listening and stay tuned for next week's episode.